0: I'm Derek. And I'm Leah. And this is Let's Talk Outdoors.
1: Today, we are chatting with Andrea Nelson about Leave No Trace principles. Andrea is a Leave No Trace master educator, a lifelong learner, a keen observer, and a multi-talented individual.
0: That's quite a list. We're excited to have you, Andrea. That's pretty
2: generous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining Some us. it's warranted, but... So, uh, before we, you know, start on leave no trace, we thought we'd maybe like help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. Maybe hear a bit about your experiences outdoors. Maybe what led you into the world of uh, where you are now. You, you grew up in southern Saskatchewan, and now you are in the boreal forest. That's a bit of a trek. What, uh, is there like? How did that? How did you get up there?
2: Oh, that, I guess that's a long story, as most stories are. Um, when I finished my undergrad, um, I had done co-ops throughout undergrad and most of my placements were in sustainability policy, um, research and writing. It's, I have a, a degree in history and I wanted to spend more time outside. And so in advance of that, um, I'd been on like Green works, job sites kind of things. And I'd seen a lot of guiding jobs. And so I thought maybe I would take take a year off and spend that outside. I was already doing kind of informal guiding uh, for family and friends for a few years by that point. And so in pursuit of that, um, I sought some certifications because I didn't really have any. Um, I'm I'm self-taught originally, though I've had a lot of professional development since then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... That's how I met Sask Outdoors, actually, and it was through a Leave No Trace Master Educator course. And so that was the first, the um, first time that I had really spent uh, up north as an adult um, on the Churchill, and the first time I had ever been on a guided, um, on a guided trip or on a on a wilderness course of any kind. Um, it was that it was that course, um, and that was with Vanessa Curry Foster of Clearwater Canadian. And, uh, and at the end of the, the end of the trip, she asked, oh, have you ever considered guiding? <laughs> and I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe. Um, and then that fall, uh, so I was still in school at the time. Um, I took a, a wilderness first aid course and she was there recertifying hers. And she said, well, now that you have first aid, not two was out, to her She's like, no, no, I'm actually serious. <laughs> um, and so that's what, uh, that's what brought me to central Saskatchewan. Um, and that was on the west side in Middle Lake Provincial Park, mostly, most of them there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's that's how I started my my outdoor life. Um, and I haven't really turned back uh, <laughs> what was supposed to be
0: a year. was approaching a decade now. So, yeah. Awesome. Is there anything you missed from the south?
2: You know, I think that's kind of... It's kind of funny. I, I love the South. And so when I drive South, you know, to visit family or friends, it feels like I'm coming home. And then when I'm returning North, I feel like I'm coming home. Like I just, <laughs> I just love them both. And I love the transition. And I am so intrigued by that. And like transitions on landscape in general are really interesting places. Um, there's a lot of life on the edge and and i like that um the saskatoons i would say though are are something i really miss here the, the saskatoon bushes are scrappy you know you got three <laughs> berries on them and just, <laughs> we have we have a lot of other berries here but the saskatoon bushes of itself at this time of year yeah
1: I, I can you tell us wh- where you are now and what keeps you busy
2: yeah so I, i'm in um Uh, North-central Saskatchewan. It's really the centre of the province. Um, I live in Great Blue Heron Provincial Park, um, and I work in uh, Prince Albert National Park. And um, I guess I'm I'm still a wilderness guide throughout much of the year, um, like through the winter. Um, But mostly I work for Parks Canada now um, as an interpreter and a visitor experience. And so that's what I'm doing these days, uh, and then I transition through autumn, um, and when uh, when the water is frozen, I'm I'm mushing most of the time.
0: I've always I've always been interested in mushing, like it's we I did like a two hour thing as like a, a gift from my wife at some point, um, but I would love to to go out and do more of that. That's really neat. You kind of talked about how you got introduced to the leave no trace leave no trace principles um, do you want to maybe give us like a quick rundown of them and then we could maybe talk a little more in depth on what what they mean or why they're important does that does that work yeah that works
2: um, so so really there are seven core principles and the thing to think about with them is that, that they're ethics or their principles they're not rules and so um, sometimes folks are looking for like just tell me what to do (laughs) and really the thing to do is is to observe and really um let let a space guide you in the in the decisions or choices to be made as to how to address kind of the concern at hand um so the first principle is plan ahead and prepare and i really think that everything kind of comes down to that principle um if, if we are to reduce our impact, uh, we can do that really in the planning stages. Um, and that can be, um, in terms of reducing our impact, in maybe in the, in choi- the choice of where we go, um, or when we go, or how we go, or um, what we do, um, in addition to just, like, like, and that can be for a day trip, or that can be for an extended trip. Um, if, if you take the time to plan and take the time to really think about impacts beyond just um, the outdoor space, uh, that's, that's really the, the time and place to do it. And we can unpack that more. As we sure. Go. Sure. So The second one is travel and camp on durable surfaces, and that too has a, a seasonality to it. Um, the third one is dispose of waste properly. And that includes, um, human waste as well as garbage. So we often think about that as pack it in, pack it out. Um, but there are, there are different ways that we can approach, um, approach our waste. Number four is leave what you find. And I kind of like to say, stop, <laughs> leave what you find because, um, often it's, it's we can kind of get caught up in in an activity, and really, it requires a person to really stop and think about that activity before um, they continue. So, leave what you find includes uh, cultural artifacts um, or or found objects. Um, as educators, I think there are some lines that can be a little bit blurred in there um, in terms of where something like a like a natural, um, artifact might be helpful in a, in a classroom setting. Um, but there are other ways to, to capture that concept that doesn't require removal from its natural space. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that, that can be in, in story or it can be in song or that can be in photography or, um, through drawing or something like that. There's a lot of ways to capture something um, or, or a feeling or, you know, an idea without removing it. Um, number five is minimize campfire impacts. And that, that leads to a whole big question, the whole stove versus campfire debate, uh, which we could have later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that would that definitely, definitely plays to, um, to where you are. There's a, there's a huge spectrum as to approaches for that. Um, number six is respect wildlife. And number seven is be considerate of other visitors. And I, I see those last two as as really being an equal and, and pair well together.
1: Which of those principles do you see people struggle with the most? Like either from interacting with people or what you've seen when you're in that country?
2: I think dispose of waste properly. I think because um because there aren't plans in place again like the plan ahead and prepare you know people don't don't imagine that they're going to need to go to the washroom right away or something um or they don't really think about um what's required to do that in a lower impact way and so they tend to think about it a little bit too late and <laughs> And that's where you get a lot of um improperly stored waste. And and I've actually seen a real uptake um, in these COVID times of masks and gloves in the backcountry huh. um on trees through the park. And it's um I, I think actually waste has gone up in really? in this last season. And I'm not sure if that's because of you know, lack of access early on with um, people wanting to get out on the trails, and they're mostly the close, close to town trails. Um, people wanting to go on the trails and, and bathrooms were closed, um, and so there wasn't a plan in place. And uh, because parks, you know, and I'm I'm speaking generally, not necessarily um, park that I live or work in. Um, but parks in general, you know, were closed or didn't have staff. And so they were really unable to keep facilities open. Um, but folks didn't do the research required. And and so they ended up in situations where um, garbages were full or garbages were closed or there were no garbages or, mm-hmm. you know, same for for, you know, bathroom facilities. And so there's just a lot of a lot of toilet paper and a lot of um, human waste not where it needs to be <laughs> which is, in you know off of trails and away from water sources mm-hmm. so I think that's one that, that folks struggle with just because it seems for some reason it's unanticipated um, or you know maybe they have kids or maybe they're you know they think they're just out for a quick jog <laughs> you know, I don't know but <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Not everyone's and packing I, their little side collapsible shovel with them all the time on there.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and,
2: and I mean, it, it can be much simpler than that you see human waste on trails, like a few times a, a season for me. And that's uh, that's just not where it's supposed
1: to be. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what people can do to be better prepared to dispose of the waste? Yes,
2: yeah, so just having a, a waste management plan. Um, having... having a bag to put your garbage in um or having like zippered pockets (laughs) it sounds crazy um but i i guess i kind of had this theory that like most garbage on trails is just you know just kind of falls inadvertently out of people's like pockets because they don't Mm -hmm. zip them shut yeah um because it's it's not frequently like full-on garbage it's it's little corners off of (laughs) you know little granola bars and that kind of thing that's most often like the the garbage kind of waste that's found on trails. And so I think that's just inattention. Um, so just having a, a little baggie around. Um, and I I just always have a it's just an old battered up Ziploc bag with a small trowel and hand sanitizer and you know a quarter roll of toilet paper and a compost, like a little composting doggy bag. Mm-hmm. And they just live together. Is there a little <laughs> ecosystem, and they're there until I need them. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple, um, you know, old bread bags and stuff. If I find, if I come across, you know, someone else's waste that needs to be removed, mm-hmm. um, I have what I need to do that in a way that's safe to me. Mm-hmm. And and that that's just always living in in my car and in my backpack. And I'm rarely on the trail without a backpack. Mm -hmm. um unless they're kind of my home trails and and then i can return to the scene of the crime if i need to um yeah so i I think just having that and and being aware that um you really need to be away from water sources just because of of drainage Uh, and that and that's these are like economies of scale really right so one person um it may not be the biggest issue but it's rarely the case that it's one person you know we share these spaces with a lot of other users um, human uh, and uh, and you know all the wildlife around us um, and plants and so we just might be poisoning others you know like i i have seen squirrels and bears get into really disposed of waste and so Um, it just, ideally there's a little cat hole that's dug and it's six or eight inches down and that's where you put your waste and you take out your toilet paper, um, none of the burning in the in the back country like burning toilet paper it doesn't work it's wet because you just used it and uh and starting you know little fires in bushes is rarely a good idea so
0: that's so a thing. You, i've never heard of that being a thing that's a thing Sorry. that's a
2: thing that's a know. thing people do that and it doesn't work and so you just come across this like half burned, gross piece of toilet paper um not please, not pleasant. It's it's a very simple little process. I'm sure you can find tons of videos on YouTube if you need a visual. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but that too is is this, you know, cat holes aren't always the answer. You know, ideally, if there's an outhouse, you're going to use it, and you're going yeah. to plan to use outhouses um, yeah. because it really is about, you know, concentrating or dispersing impact. And if you have the opportunity to concentrate that because the infrastructure is there, um, it's been built at a a backcountry site, use that. Absolutely Mm -hmm. use that Mm -hmm. and and plan to use those. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is really important to discuss um, because it's often this it's this thing that, you know, instructors or teachers don't want to or guides or whoever. Don't want to talk about the feminine hygiene thing because everyone has to go to the bathroom, but then they can just kind of discreetly like avoid that that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the waste that surrounds most backcountry sites, like most backcountry sites without outhouses, mm-hmm. are tampon applicators, pads, and pad wrappers, mm-hmm. hands down. Mm-hmm. And and that I I just see is really sad because I think those are people who are like, they're as unsure how to do any of that, like deal with that waste as anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's like this embarrassing conversation that they don't mm-hmm. want to have and they do not want to bring up because then it kind of draws attention to where they're at and what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, and so it really is the onus of like the organizer is to have a plan for that. And that's like, that's really, really important. And And I didn't, I suppose in my my description of my little like bathroom bag all the time, mm-hmm. um, that is not the bathroom bag that I take when I'm guiding. Um, when I'm guiding, I use a dry bag and it's much bigger and it has um, it has like compost uh, like little compostable pet waste bags. But also, I more frequently have a brown paper bags and you can crush up some aspirin in there and that like, re- reduces scent, and then that can hmm. be discreetly burned if, if that's an appropriate thing. Like if you are using fires and, and you know that you can burn it completely, um, hmm. then that can be done every couple of days, or you can pack it out completely, you know, depending on trip lengths. But it's really important to address <laughs> the feminine hygiene issue, because it's... Um, I just feel bad for the folks in the bushes, not knowing what to do. And, and then, you know, dealing with that kind of thought afterward of having left that waste out there mm-hmm. that can't be comfortable for anyone. So I think it is really important to address.
0: Well, let's spin back maybe a little bit to plan ahead and prepare and just kind of yeah. go through some of those other ones. Maybe. Um, I know like me personally, I'm always like, a I I get made fun of all the time. My, like, um, like students call me like Samwise Gamgee because I always have like just this massive pack and like stuff hanging on. Like I always feel like I need to have everything for anything. Um, but I feel like that's probably not what plan ahead and prepare is. I feel like trying to prepare for everything is not really what the leave no trace is about.
2: No, I think, I think you're right on that. You're wise (laughs) Samwise Gamgee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think, I think, the first thing to consider is really um, using our toolbox, like our, our minds. And so the more the more aware we are of what we can use um, or, or how we can use things um, in, in different ways, um, really the planning process is in, is in learning skills. And the more skills that you have in an outdoor context, really, the less you can bring. Um, I think it's imprudent to, you know, go super ultra light if you don't have the skills to go along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also think that in that plan ahead and prepare is a is a way that we can also kind of decouple um, outdoor spheres with like consumptive spheres. You know, we if we if we plan ahead, then we can reduce waste ahead of time, so we don't have to pack it out. If, if we plan ahead properly, we can um, carpool to a place so that we're not, you know, all taking our own vehicle or something like that. You know, so there's ways to reduce impact before we even arrive at, mm-hmm. uh, the, at a wilderness or natural area, and that can be, that can be really in any part of our life, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think leave no trace um, does not have to be like relegated to the parks and only parks crowd yeah. like land or something um it's nearby nature as well and it's in our own lives it's it's just like a lower impact lifestyle it's really the, the more you can kind of think about things ahead of time the more you can kind of reduce the impact mm-hmm. uh, and the more thorough you're planning um not in terms of not in terms of like planning each and every moment or minute or anything like that that's not where i'm going but you know, maybe I could borrow this from this person, or maybe I could share this kind of thing with that person, then we don't necessarily all have to acquire all of the stuff all of the time. At the same time, that also means that if we do have what we need, say, on a day trip, in order to be ready to, you know, be safe, if we did have to spend the night out, um, that also means that you know, maybe the person that's at home with the trip plan or who knows where we are. And they're like, yeah, you you know, I think they're okay. We don't have to, you know, pull out of the stops to do this, you know, do this headlong research or search and rescue operation, which really is, uses a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that too creates a higher impact. And so I think it's, that's kind of the balance of it. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of elements to it, but, but knowing where you're going um, and what are the regulations in place, or knowing that there's a fire ban in effect, or knowing that the weather is going to be poor and um, you're going to need to bring a lot warmer clothes. Otherwise, you're going to be burning like huge amounts of wood to keep warm. You know, If you can, if you can you know, mitigate some of that ahead of time, then you can, in a way, through your planning, reduce some of the resource use on a trip.
0: There's a there's like Moore's a, I I never know how to say his name like Kohansky Kohansky yeah, yeah. he had yeah. a he had a thing kind of like that that reminded me of that a little bit I think he said something along I'm paraphrasing but it was like the more you know the less stuff you need and I think yeah, yeah that yeah. basically is like goes in with what you're saying there
2: yeah and I think that's that's totally true you touched b-
1: briefly on trip plans and I feel like that's something that's been coming up in my world lately as something that is often overlooked by people you tell us a little bit more about trip plans, like providing trip plans to other people what that should look like or could look like
2: yeah so there there are a lot of um trip planning documents available online Uh, adventure smart is an organization we're we're a program that helps people develop trip plans um and adventure smart basically is plan ahead and prepare. That's like that's the line, <laughs> um, and uh, and so that would be a resource that I would direct you to. Um, but some of the things to think about when you are planning a trip is, you know, in an LNT context, would be, you know, group size and is is the size you're planning to like the group size that you're planning to take to a particular area is that within the carrying capacity of that area Mm -hmm. so knowing ahead of time you know which which um, sites you might go to let's use a canoe trip as an example so knowing which sites you might travel to um knowing ahead of time how many tents that those sites can fit Mm-hmm. Um and what size of tents? <laughs> you know, not the
0: super mega like apartment person, uh, tent.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, super <laughs> tents. Um yeah. those are just not not really appropriate for a lot of places. Um and so part of your trip plan would include how many people, who those people are, perhaps the medical information on them if you were to give this to someone else. Um pertinent information on them. So like, a, like health card numbers is really handy if you have to transfer that information to someone else like in an emergency. Um, so having having those kind of details, yeah, so having an idea ahead of time of, of which people will be sleeping in which tents and then how many tents that is going to equal out to. So, you know, you have four tents or you have six tents. Well, that is very much going to determine where you sleep and the sequence of of your sites, um, because you, if you if you're tripping with six tents, um, you can't land in a three tent site, mm-hmm. because that means that you're going to have to expand that site or really over camp that spot, mm-hmm. um, and that that's uncomfortable for everyone, including the site <laughs> and, and all those who live there who are non-human. Um, like and so so trees get cut and plants get crushed and you know sites get expanded you know and and maybe your waste management plan is all screwed up because you're you're all too tight on a little island you know that's not going to work Mm -hmm. and so that would be part of your of your trip planning is um kind of noting the size of group and that that may be regulated depending on where you're going Mm -hmm. um or that might be self-regulated and that Leave No Trace ultimately is all about self-regulation in order to avoid more and more need for someone else to regulate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that would be part of the trip plan. And so, you know, you would know that you're staying at at this location on this night and this location on this night, and that would be detailed in your trip plan. Um, You'd also include, say, the vehicles that you're using and their license plates and um, maybe the colors of your main gear so they could find that. How many canoes? Because we're using canoes as an example, you know, how many you have and what color they are. You know, so some the group characteristics, like identifiers of that group. So if someone needed to say contact you and you didn't have a two-way communication, you know, maybe you didn't have it on if you did have it on board, or maybe you've chosen to not bring that. For some reason um of course those details would be in your trip plan as well yeah. <laughs> um, but someone could then say oh yeah i did see that group of um, six canoes uh, yeah there were five red ones and one yellow one <laughs> something yeah. you yeah. know they would have an, a, a way of identifying you um, from a distance and so those could be elements of your trip plan um, and the big one is just when when you're planning on coming out and if you do not meet that time at what point should the person who had that, who is holding that trip plan that responsible adult? Um, at what point should they seek help? Mm-hmm. And you would also, in the trip plan, include contact information for whom they could contact. So you would have RCMP and you would have local, um, you know, health access. So that might be a Medi center, and then a, a um, not a hotel, a <laughs> hospital. <laughs> um, and you know maybe if there's an outfitter in the area or a float plane company or that kind of stuff. So that trip plan would come with you um, so that if something happened to the trip leader, that others on the trip would have an idea of whom they could contact um, using two-way communication. Mm-hmm. But also that would be for the, the person who has the trip plan at home um, and they know that you're supposed to be out On Wednesday night and if you don't contact them by Thursday at noon um then they would they would make some calls
0: okay what about uh what so we got traveling camp on durable services this seems like is there a lot in this one it seems like you're going to find a spot that makes sense to use you're not cutting stuff down you're not trampling on everything is there
2: yeah I mean that's true I think there's a seasonality to it Mm -hmm. so um so early spring um, at breakup when when the ground is soft, that's a really sensitive time, mm-hmm. and so you might uh, consider changing the dates uh, depending on when you know freeze up or breakup are happening uh, because that that's a really sensitive time for like understory, um, and it can just shred. <laughs> like if you're just working a group along a portage and it's super wet mm-hmm. and soft, that's that's hard. Um, so you might choose to do, uh, like a hiking trip earlier in the season when the ground is frozen or later when it has a chance to dry out, mm-hmm. or maybe you, um, select a location that is going to be more durable, you know, through that time period as say you're planning a class trip and you really want to go in April. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, you plan a trip that kind has durable surfaces, but you know, water is very durable. So yeah. trips are an excellent choice in summer. Um, snow and ice is very durable, so travel on lakes in the middle of winter. That's great. <laughs> um, and you know, if you are if you are using, um, say, you are in winter, you can't just assume that all snow is equal. And so, going through, you don't want to travel through cattails if you have pure ice. You know, forty feet to the left go on that um, because that's, you know, really valuable habitat. So you want to try to make those transitions as fast as possible to get out of places that, um, that others are living in. So that's, that's kind of the idea with traveling camp on durable services. Um, One other big one with that is not always seeking the most comfortable way around something. So the big one, um, uh, it's been really wet here this spring. Uh, or it was really wet here this spring and early summer Mm -hmm. and folks don't want to walk through water on trails and so they go wider and wider and wider and the trails blow out and so you end up having these really huge um, muddy areas instead of just wearing boots maybe putting on gaiters or just just you know, getting their boots wet—that's kind of fun. It. If you just—if yeah. you just kind of—if you just go for it and do it, it's—it's it's actually not bad at all. Yeah. Um, but you do choosing to just get muddy um, yeah. and stay on the trail is a much better solution in the long term, uh, because otherwise, then you know, say a park system or whomever is. Maintaining that trail, then they have to amp up their infrastructure mm-hmm. to correspond to deal with, with it. Flow out. Yeah. So then they might have to put in, like they might have to harden it. They might have to bring in rock. Right. They're going to have to put in a little bridge. Maybe they're going to have to. So the impact gets bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. Um, so just get your boots wet.
0: So should we get into this campfire debate here then? Maybe, like what's sure. what's, what's the best thing if you're if you're minimizing your campfire impacts? Do you do a firebox? Do you like fight with a whisper light for, you know, as long as it takes? Do you like card along the big, uh, propane tank? Like, how do you, how do you do it?
2: You could do any of those and they would all be right I, in some context, I think. Um, so, so the hard, the hard line for some leave note tracers is, is whisper lights are bust. <laughs> um, it's, it's all about bringing in camp stoves. Yeah. Um, But I I really think that that depends on where you are. You know, if you're in an alpine environment or you're in grasslands or you're in a place where there isn't a lot of wood or removal of wood would cause significant impact, maybe you're in a deforested area or a place that's been, you know, over harvested for wood, then by all means, you should be using uh, a stove, a camp stove. Now, if you are... If you are light using a fire, um, then you should be using a fire in a way that reduces the amount of wood. So you're not like having a bonfire every night um, for hours, burning logs the size of your thigh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where something like a firebox comes in, where it um, it kind of concentrates the heat that you're using in more of a in more of a cooking context. And so it's a little bit more efficient than just an open fire you know, that, that would be a good compromise. Um, and then there are some areas where, you know, maybe for some reason a, a, a firebox or some sort of, like, fire stove, you know, doesn't make sense for you or, you know, you might not have that gear or, you know, you you don't have the gear for that kind of group or something like that. Or maybe it's a fire ban. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that's why you would um, you would use a stove instead. Um, But I do think that has to do with where is the impact happening. And so, you know, for someone to um, use, like, okay, I do not use a camp stove when I'm in a remote boreal area that has a surplus of firewood. And I know that ahead of time, Um, because I actually think that the refining process to create camp fuel is more intensive and creates a greater impact than me collecting dead and down wood in the site that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so that really has to do with where you are and knowing what you're walking into and planning. And so there are, there are spaces where that can get tricky though. Like if you are in a boreal area that had a great burn like a really nice hot intense burn 10 years ago good luck finding dead down wood like it's just <laughs> thick wrist-sized jack pines that are very very <laughs> green <laughs> and you will not be burning anything very quick and so you know often it's a fusion and it's um you know choosing that site by site um and so i you know there's a there's always a ground, and I think that really depends on the size of your group and where you're going um, and what what the land kind of tells you to do and just follow that Is
1: there more that you want to say about any of the other concepts or principles I should say?
2: I think, well respect wildlife and be considerate of other visitors I think those I see them as very similar, I think that's just being a good neighbour to the communities around you and so I, th- I think in some of Leave No Trace's history is in the U.S. and some really um, intensively used park systems. And be considerate of other visitors has to do with really highly used areas. And so part of part of that is maintaining a wilderness experience for everyone. Um, and so that's, you know, not playing loud music and not, you know, maintaining a campsite that looks like like you're having a yard sale and not having like all the stuff out all the time and um, realizing that people um, might be using a space or being in a space for different reasons. And so just respecting their needs um, as well as your own. And so being aware of that, uh, I, I really think that that extends to wildlife um, because me keeping a clean campsite is is for myself and other humans and and the animals that might be habituated or have mm-hmm. um, an alteration in their behavior because of of my actions I, yeah I just kind of I, I see them as one and the same and it really is just, just being a good neighbor <laughs> um, you know I don't I don't run up and pick people up and like take them out of their place you know so why would I do that to frogs you know or why would I um and so I think there are ways to to appreciate wildlife um in ways that doesn't harm them or or doesn't alter their behavior in any way and you know that's that's giving way to animals on the trail, you know, like why couldn't they have the right of way? And that would be the same for other visitors too. So I think it's just be aware of others. Mm -hmm. Be respectful.
1: Great advice for all parts of life.
2: (laughs) I guess so.
1: (laughs) I was also curious if there, if you had any examples of how a leave no trace principle has been effectively implemented, like if there was a problem and then there was um, and the No Choice principle sort of help to solve that problem?
2: I mean, one that's kind of curious to me as a paddler in Saskatchewan is seeing how um, implementation of composting toilets in the upstream area of, uh, of Mississippi. So, so the Barker Island area, how that will play out. Um, but I think that, you know, that's um, the issues there are around, you know, higher impact, um, camping and just a lot of people being attracted to that area and a variety of users throughout the year. So, um, there's sport fishing, there's paddling, um, there's camping and there's like ice fishing as well. And so that area gets used throughout the season or throughout the the year in different ways, but it, the same spaces see the impact. And, And it has to do with how the ice forms and stuff like that. So, so the same campsites get used through the year and they don't really get a break. What Mm -hmm. I'm excited about in that space is that it's a variety of user groups. So, um, people from each of those communities, like each of those user groups, as well as, you know, local folks from surrounding communities, as well as parks support, um, And local businesses. And so there's just like a whole group of people who have interests in supporting responsible use of a space and reducing long term impact uh, through implementing composting Mm -hmm. toilets and hopefully some education that surrounds that so that, you know, school groups can continue to use that space, even though there are 20 or 30 of them Um, or you know canoe tripping clinics or ice fishermen mm-hmm. or whomever and so uh, i'm excited to see how that will go and i think that that um could really mm-hmm. could really be a solid success story you know in the making that's happening right now um of people looking to address the impacts of their recreation and and their livelihoods and looking for long-term solutions to that. And so I, I think in many ways, that's, that's a story that is seen, mm-hmm. I would say across North America, because Leave No Trace is, a, is an American thing that has found a home in Canada and, and elsewhere. Um, but you see that in parks, and I think there's, there's a balance there um, in terms of regulation. and and self-regulation
0: so your kind of entry into leave no trace principles you kind of were living through it but you went through some trainings on on leave no trace have are there other trainings that people could access or how would how would someone look into that to get trained in um, leave no trace principle
2: yeah I think I think the best place to start is um, by reading I mean that's that's what ultimately where I came across it I just read leave no trace those three words in a book somewhere and I thought what is that you know and it was really um it was really because I was going out and encountering all of these issues and what do I do with this And how do I what do I do with that and how do I um and so I I sought resources for that and there are tons um there are there are books there are manuals there are is like a, a huge online world of videos, I'm sure. Um so that's that's a good place to start. And then Leave No Trace kind of has a series of training options. And so kind of entry level is a Leave No Trace awareness course. And that could be um that could be an hour long. Uh, you know, this might even qualify yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is listening to this podcast. Um is uh you know, so you could invite someone to your classroom um, or you could go, you know, to an awareness workshop. Um, and that can be an hour long, that could be a day long. And, and all of these could be unpacked maybe in your specific context, or if you have a specific way of recreating, uh, maybe, maybe you're a hunter um, and you're really wanting to know how you could reduce your impact around hunting or, or rock climbing or whatever it is, um, whatever it is that you do outside. And so um, you might have an awareness course that's centered on that, or that's a place that you could ask questions about that. Um, and then the second option is a, a trainer course, and that's an overnight. And so it's a usually a two-day, one-night course. And once you're a trainer, you can offer awareness courses. So that hmm. um, is a really, really good option. And, and then the next one, um, kind of the third one that the top designation is a leave no trace master educator and doing that can um, you could then provide trainer courses or awareness courses and so you know as a teacher um, you could potentially get a like a leave no trace master educator designation mm-hmm. and you could do an overnight and certify all of your students as leave no trace trainers and perhaps then they could take that to their you know, summer jobs if they're mm-hmm. working at a camp or they could do an awareness course for, um, if they have some sort of outdoor context, they could do that for their workplaces um, and maybe strategize on how they could reduce impact in whatever it is they do in an outdoor context. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do I do really think that one thought to stress is really how that can move beyond an outdoor context as well. And Sasko Doors occasionally does offer um, courses to those effects like awareness courses or trainer courses. We haven't done a master educator course in quite some time.
0: Maybe we're due. Okay. We have two other questions for us. So what is your favorite outdoor place to visit in Saskatchewan?
2: That one is really hard. Um, Because I'm pretty grateful to have seen a lot of, of, beautiful places in Saskatchewan and I hope to continue to um, but more and more I think it's my backyard and I just I just really love watching the season shift and watching the forest change and watching like storms blow in and and switch things up and how how things respond to it and it's it's just a really cool place to witness uh, over time so, yeah, I think it's just our home trails. I just really like them. I was out there today and they smelled really good. <laughs> it's like a warm day in Jack Pine. Yeah. It just smells so good. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: a great answer. This question is probably not any easier than it is. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be?
2: I think I, think I would really like us to all realize how interrelated we are. And that really goes to, like, all communities, you know, from the ground up. And I think if, if we people, we darn people, <laughs> <laughs> could just realize how, how much um, we need each other and how much we need um, the land and water to thrive, like, for everything to thrive, then I think that would help us make better choices for each other so that we can coexist
0: so we've had a great conversation is there a place that people could connect with you or learn more about your work or anything like that if they're interested
2: um so i could be contacted through sundogs we are redoing our website right now um so that's sundogs.sk.ca and then uh, you could email me and that's andrea.an at gmail.com
0: awesome thank you andrew all right. There's a lot of things to think about there. Leah, did you have any big takeaways from our conversation with Andrea?
1: My biggest takeaway is when I look at the list of Leave No Trace concepts, I read them and I think, yep, those are simple and straightforward. And in learning more about them from Andrea, I realized the depth of all of those different seven principles and how much more there is to learn about them.
0: Yeah, totally. Like you look at the list and you're like, yeah, okay, that's good. But then the going into a little more detail, like, okay, there's a lot more stuff. Also a, a pretty much everything seemed to link back to planning. Like it was like, you know, where you're going to camp, make sure it's, you know, good, but link that back to planning. What, how are you going to make your fire? Link that back to like figuring out knowing where you're going ahead of time. So I thought that was, uh, uh, that was kind of yeah. cool.
1: I, I appreciated her comments about thinking about the season that you're going camping. I don't often think about that. I just look at my own, schedule and selfishly try and pick when I'm available to go where I want to go and um, really made me think about planning more um, and considering where I'm going and when the best time to go to those different places might or might not be.
0: Totally. Um, And I think one other thing that I I took from Andrea there was she talked a few times uh, kind of just about observing, just about like just observing where you are and like listening to the land, which I think uh, is really a, kind of an interesting concept that you can't get from like, you know, just look at the seven steps, but th- just being out there and, and looking around and thinking, okay, you know what, this, this place can't handle this right now. So we're going to do something different. So I thought that was kind of neat.
1: I think that's where the, in the trainings, the, having the training as part of a trip is so important because it gives you that real life experience that you just, of being in a place and making those decisions based on the principles that you just can't get from a book or reading on the internet or Mm. watching YouTube videos. Exactly. What was your biggest takeaway there?
0: One thing she talked about was uh, not always seeking the most comfortable. uh, and, And so that's, that's interesting to me, you know, like we, I think as humans, we're, often like right now programmed to try to make things as comfortable as possible uh but maybe thinking about okay so what would be best for all of the users of this space which it would include you know animal life plant life us whatever and then think about okay what what's the best choice here considering you know everyone there so i think um, i don't know that was an interesting thing to me yes yeah.
1: very wise observation She was
0: very wise, uh, Andrew. She's got a lot of wisdom there.
1: Are there any actions that you're going to take after learning more about Leave No Trace?
0: I think it'd be interesting to bring in a lot more as like a meaningful thing with students, especially anytime I'm taking kids out or uh, even uh, Andrew talked about bringing it into other aspects of life, uh, you know, being aware, even if we just go outside to the yard. I mean, teenagers or at least teenagers I know are notorious for dropping things or, you know, maybe sometimes we don't pick up after ourselves or whatever, but thinking about it in in an in outdoors context, but maybe that spreads to other contexts. So I think uh, I would love to do some training and then maybe bring that back uh, to my students as well. What about you?
1: Well, I asked her about trip plans because that just keeps popping up in my like. That's the thing I latched onto when I'm hearing different people talk, and so I recognize that I, in my personal life, need to do a better job of trip planning. Not so much in in, or I guess, a better job of communicating my trip plan. Mm-hmm. I know what I intend to, to do, but my family often goes for day hikes. And we are not prepared to stay overnight um, mm-hmm. and we don't tell anyone that we're going or when we're going back. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's an area that we can improve on and in turn set a better example and teach our kids how to do those things better. So that maybe when they're older and going on trips, they tell us where they're going and when yeah. they are going back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, we actually had, I was on a trip once as like a, a middle school kid and, um, and we ended up having the like emergency search and rescue put in after us because we were, uh, I don't really know. They read our trip plan. Like it was a two-pager they only read the first page and they thought we were supposed to be back. And we we had an extra day and they sent out like boats and helicopters and all kinds of stuff. And I was like 12, so I was barely, aw- all I knew was the helicopter went looking for us. And I thought it was sweet. But the, the adults leading the trip, uh, had some hot water (laughs) they were dealing with like people yelling at them from you know whatever parks canada with a bill for a helicopter search so yes it was uh, was interesting
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um
0: awesome well leah this has been a great conversation uh and hopefully listeners enjoyed it as well uh if you enjoyed this episode please you know give us a subscribe give us a review on whatever you're listening on whether that's stitcher or apple podcast or google or spotify or whatever you listen to podcasts on and we'd love it if you'd send it off to a friend who might uh, like it and enjoy it as well this podcast is produced in association with sask outdoors check us out online at saskoutdoors.org